Recently, due to the Black Lives Matter movement, many students and alumni at Fordham University have voiced their concerns about Fordham's treatment of BIPOC students. Higher education has been one of the areas out of many that have been exposed for their bias on this situation. And here to speak more about that and how politicians are reacting is the president of Fordham University's Lincoln Center's United Student Government, Lorene Ruiz. Lorene, thank you for coming back to The Beat. Hi, Panya. Thank you so much for having me back on your podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I'm, I'm glad that, that you're coming on because this is your first year as president of USG. And you're going, you're tackling many things right now. You're tackling a pandemic and you're tackling um, a systematic, systemic epidemic within this country. I I just want to know, and going off the bat, you know, what policies, programs, or initiatives have USG taken to ensure that Black, Indigenous, and other uh, students of color will have a more equitable and just life on campus. And of course, this coming after two pages um, on Instagram have been created to expose Fordham and their bias. Let's talk at Let's Talk About It Fordham and at Black at Fordham. So please um, let us know what uh, Lincoln Center's USG is doing. So we're working on a lot of things right now, Panya. Uh, So I do first want to lead with the fact that I read every single one of those posts. Um, and so those posts are, are about everything from professors making inappropriate and racist remarks during lectures, um, from public safety bias allegations um, to sexual misconduct. I read everything. And so what we're trying to do right now is to tackle the root of all those problems. So uh, one thing is I have scheduled a meeting for the board with Mr. John Carroll, he's the AVP of Public Safety at Fordham. And we want to ask him more about what kinds of trainings, if any, public safety staff um, are facing. And if we find that they're inadequate, then we'd like to push for some diversity trainings or greater emphasis on on making sure that students of all races feel protected at Fordham. Um, We're also pursuing airmark divestment, as that's a cause that a lot of students are very passionate about. There have been many petitions going around, lots of research being done, um, and we've decided to move forward with that um, by contacting the dining contract liaison um, and to see what kinds of alternatives there are to Aramark. Um, We're reaching out to the Office of the Chief Diversity Officer to see what kinds of trainings faculty are getting um, and to see how complaints are being handled right now, because right now, to be honest, I don't. We don't know a whole lot about what happens when complaints are handled because so it seems like a lot of students um, have voiced their concerns through a formal way, but haven't seen any outcome from that, and that's disappointing. Um, the last thing that we're doing is collaborating with Fordham's chapter of Student Veterans of America for Fordham to recognize um, Columbus Day. I'm sorry, Veterans Day in place of Columbus Day. Uh, we want to. We want to scrap that. Um, we, you know, Columbus. Christopher Columbus has a long history of colonialism and having his holiday as and like a paid time off doesn't reflect well and we'd like to um, instead honor our student veterans and have a day committed to service. I know that was a lot. There are a lot of things that we're working on right now, but I do want students to know that we have a pulse on all these issues and we're acting, we're acting on them. 
I want to um, quickly just touch on public safety for a little bit, because mm -hmm. as you know, um, the first day um, of, of school was the water main break at Lincoln Center, and public safety sent out notifications to students saying that all classes are canceled starting from, I believe, two o'clock um, or whatever. And so, of course, 50% of the population at Lincoln Center are commuter students, and when commuter students went to class not knowing that the notification has been sent, that they were going into the building and public safety is stopping them and saying, what are you doing here? There is no way for commuter students to go back home if Columbus Circle and Lincoln Center, Lincoln Center are flooded um, both at the same time. So what specific actions are, or conversations are you having with public safety to address the need of commuter students who, like I said, are 50% of the population. And within that 50%, the majority are BIPOC students. Mm. So I think your question speaks to the intersectionality of, of race and also the student population of whether somebody is a resident or commuter. Um, and I want to circle back to one of the things that I, one of the issues that I prioritized during my campaign, which was securing a space that is specifically for commuter students. Um, you know, recently in Fordham's list of um, action plans to combat racial injustice at Fordham, they announced the creation of a multicultural center on both campuses. And I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, but it also points to the question of, you know, if we're creating a space um, and what we've been told in the past is that there is no space for commuters, then I think that means that it's possible that we can actually do this. And I think um, bringing up the idea of having a, a space for commuters is going to be extra important in these conversations with public safety in conjunction with um, encouraging um, greater racial justice training for faculty, faculty for <laughs> public safety staff members, um, as well as the possibility of hiring quotas because I don't know if they have them right now. Um, and so these, these are a bunch of thoughts that I'm having, but I, I definitely want to make sure they all get brought up when we have those, those talks. Right. You also said that you read every single post um, and, and you listen to um, student input. Has there, any, has there been any conversation within USG and other club leaders? Um, and what have been some of the concerns that they've been voicing if there has been those conversations? Um, do you mean conversations about uh, among student leaders regarding these posts? Is that what you mean? Uh, regarding those posts and so more so regarding of um, what type of programming will be done within the mm -hmm. academic year to address these issues. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that USC is still working on. So we are in talks with Big Four, so RHA, CSA, CAB, USC, and diversity clubs across both campuses, so both Rose Hill and Lincoln Center. And so I'm in talks with boards from both of those campuses and, and all of those clubs to talk about meaningful programming that we can make. So a lot of that is still in the works right now, but um, things that we definitely want to make sure is that we're not just talking about racial issues, but we wanna actually actively be anti-racist which I think is another thing um, that needs to be brought to the forefront. It's not enough to just say, oh, racism is bad. We actually need to take a stand and promote the voices of people that have been historically underrepresented. Right. And, you know, when we're talking about um, being 
anti-racist and not just racism is bad, Fordham and other higher education, educational institutions have, I guess for a lack of a better word, been plagued with sort of institutional racism and, and bias. And so how should um, your successor and how should Fordham and other higher educational institutions go forward in addressing a plague that has only resurfaced? Hmm. Well, I think, well, I, do, I don't pretend and I don't want to, to know and, and I don't want to speak on behalf of Black students about what the best thing is to do um, for Black students. And so I've been reading Asili's list of demands and I think that's a really good place for Fordham to start. And so I, I also read Fordham's recent email about um, addressing their plan to address racial injustice on campus. I think it's a great start, don't get me wrong, but I think there are a lot of things that they don't address. Um, they haven't talked about hiring more black or non-binary um, admin members. Um, Cause you know, admins are the kinds of people that will enforce policies that could affect the IPOCs. And so how can we trust that these things will be upheld if the people that are in charge aren't the IPOCs? You know what I mean? So like that's that's another thing. Um, another thing is making sure that the kinds of programming, uh, like especially regarding open houses and orientations, that aren't just one-off things because they're planning to have, for instance, open houses and orientation events that are specifically for people of color, but it can't end there. We can't have those as token events to draw those kinds of students and we need to have active programming throughout the year to elevate those kinds of people's voices. And how, how do you go about making um, by POC students, especially black students, feel comfortable um, in places that are predominantly and traditionally have been white? I think there are a few things that we could do to make BIPOCs more comfortable on campus. Uh, the first is to encourage an environment in which they feel safe sharing their thoughts and speaking up, um, a space in which they aren't in fear of being censored or shot down. And the other thing is, you know, I am not black. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's imperative that um, non-black students are vocal about their allyship. Um, you know, it's, as I've been saying, it's not enough to just not be racist, but to be proactively anti-racist is important. Um, and that's like why I continue to voice my support so that my black friends know that I am an ally. And I think that all Fordham students should, should be inspired to do the same thing. Okay, so I, I want to shift a little bit uh, away mm -hmm. from from uh, higher education. But I, I still want to continue talking about this point because um, you are a student politician. Um, and you sort of, uh, know the idea uh, of elections and, and campaigning and you know many primary elections have have gone and there are still that are underway and many senior democrats are facing stiff competition from progressive newcomers as we saw in new york's 16th congressional district um the senior democrat elliot engel after many years of serving has been ousted by um former middle school principal Jamal Bowman um, and uh, 
Representative, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won her re-election in New York's 14th congressional district. And there's sort of a toss-up right now in New York's 12th congressional district um, as well. So do you think that this moment and movement, rather, is an inflection point for the progressive movement? Oh, oh 100%. Um, you know, when everybody saw AOC's campaign and she, and she won, um, people called it a fluke. But now we're seeing like waves of progressive support, not just in New York, but in places like Kentucky, hopefully in places like New Jersey. Um, and I think that's that's really exciting. Um, you know, even if a progressive candidate doesn't win, um, there are many that are still coming very close. You know, Charles Booker in Kentucky was super close to beating Amy McGrath. Um, right now in New York, um, Carolyn Maloney is head to head with Suresh Patel. So um, I think. AOC was the vanguard of a progressive movement, and it's super exciting to to see people like that. You know, I'm volunteering for, I'm actually volunteering for a progressive campaign right now. Um, Zena Stavakis is running in New Jersey's District 9 um, against um, an establishment Democrat, if you can call him that. Um, and so to see all these progressive grassroots campaigns pop up and to see the support of young people. Like, I mean, our generation, like they're such fighters, right? This really is not just a moment. It is a movement and it's so inspiring. And so even if they don't win, we are going to keep fighting and we're going to, I, I have no doubt that we're going to see more progressive support in years to come. That is difficult though, considering the power that police unions hold. So how can restructure and reform take place if they do hold much power? Yeah, so I can't pretend to know the answer about how to deal with police unions. Um, that's a tough question, Panya, because I, I know they, they have a lot of influence. You know, um, Zena's opponent, Bill Pastrell, he's, um, he takes more money from police unions than any other member in the House. And he's a Democrat. This isn't, at this point, this isn't a partisan issue. This is just like a corruption and a political issue. And uh, we see the influence that police unions have on politicians. They take their money. Um, if there's some way um, for politicians to stop taking money from police unions, even better abolish police unions, that would be great. And I hope that um, the protests and um, all of this racial injustice is enough impetus for politicians to sign on to things like that. Um, people are starting to realize that this issue is something that is really systemic. Um, it, it doesn't just start and end with the murder of George Floyd. It goes on deeper than that, and it's gone deeper than that for centuries. Um, the tricky part about police unions is that they are directly tied to labor unions, and so I don't want to diminish the, the great things that labor unions do, by getting rid of police unions. So it really is a multifaceted issue and I, I can't pretend to have the answer, but what I feel I can do as a young person and as a progressive is to push for things like defunding the police um, and instead using that money to invest in community programs and education. All right, final question, Lorraine, we're almost out of time, yeah. but if America is now in the hospital, ravaged by the coronavirus and structural, systematic, systemic racism, what should be beside its bedside? And what is that treatment? So I, I think beside its bedside are the people that we should be listening to. I think we should be listening to our Black peers. 
we should be listening to health officials, we should be wearing masks. And the treatment is having an open heart and an open mind and a willingness to listen. I think um, nowadays, like people, everyone has an opinion on what's going on. Um, and I think we'd all be a lot happier and we'd all get along a lot better if we just had a little bit of empathy and understanding for people who might not be in our situation. Maureen, thank you so much for being on the beat. Thank you, Pania. It was a pleasure.